This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pods to attract and retain real A players. Join us for the next hour where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode of the Blue Collar Culture Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan England. I'm here with Jeremy McLiver. Welcome back, everyone. We're really excited about today's guest. In the business world, he is known as the go-to guy for all things sales. He's a master collaborator. In fact, collaboration is a big part of the mindset and the focus and what he does because he wants to make as big an impact as possible. And he's known for instilling into his sales team, it's not what you say, it's who you are being when you say it. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. So Jim Padilla, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Ryan, appreciate you having me. You know, you and Jeremy got a lot going on. I'm just happy to be able to, to help and be part of it. So I know that you've got a lot of different things that you do in your business and expertise that goes way back. You've been doing this for a while, but it's all things sales, but it's not just teaching salespeople how to sell better or how to get leads. There's a lot more to it. Can, can you unpack that for us for a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, literally sales is such a vast extreme. It can be anything. And we make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be as professionals. Um, we all sell on a daily basis. Everybody, every human being who's listening to this within earshot is you're a salesperson. You sell people on going to dinner with you. You sell your wife on marrying you. You sell your kids on listening to you. Um, you know, no matter what it is, you're selling all the time. And, and it's not because you're not running scripts and, fu- and funnels to make these sales happen. You're literally showing up as the person who cares enough about that person to deliver the right message. Right. And sometimes we do it in a squirrely manner, but we still get the message across. All we do is put help unpack that process. so You can actually do that with intention and don't lose your mind when as soon as you put the sales hat on and think you have to do something different. I've heard in the past that if you show up as not needing the sale, you can actually listen better. You can have a better conversation and build a relationship with people. I think that's what you just said. That's it. I mean, I, we literally teach a park bench approach to the sales conversation. I mean, you should literally be able to sit down on a, on a park bench with a random stranger. And inside of 30 minutes, you should know what they want, why they want it, what's keeping them from getting it, and what's going to make them go. You know, what are they willing to sacrifice to make it happen? And, and then from there, you introduce them to the right person or you offer them the right thing. You know, I mean, that, that's what sales is. You make that sound so, so easy. <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like you have a system and a process for this, and uh, I'm sure that you've, it's tried and tested, and, and you've been doing it for a long time, so you know it works. One of the biggest challenges that I have when talking to my clients is helping them find the right salespeople. It is one thing to have a system and a process, but it's entirely something else to have that right person in that sales role. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you solve that problem or some things we need to be looking out for in that sense? Man, you have you have hit the nail on the head. That is really the, the it factor. Um, I see people all the time posting in Facebook groups or online somewhere. Hey, I need a salesperson. Who do you know? It's like Dude, that is just so the wrong approach because you could be the greatest salesperson in the environment you're in. Put them in a new environment and you are all of a sudden average because that environment wasn't conducive for your success. And I'm a huge fan of specialization. You know, mm. so, and, and part of the specialization starts with values match, character fit, right? 
belief in not just in the product, but in the vision and in the mission. And, you know, if you have to have people who are all in for what you're doing and we focus on helping good people with predictable environments overachieve consistently, as opposed to finding top tier rock stars and then hope that they perform. Right. Mm. So we've seen, we see continually, but you know, an average quote unquote salesperson who is a great person who can who is surrounded by a great system and who's on fire for what's being sold promise you that person will produce at or above your rock star on a consistent basis it's so funny that you just said that. i just a couple weeks ago i saw in my facebook feed a friend of mine posting that he goes i'd rather have a mediocre sales guy inside of a great system than a great sales guy inside of a mediocre system yeah it's all day long i'd pick the the the, the former one so uh, so how do you find that person? Well, we literally spend, uh, I've spent 30 years doing this. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, it, you can, you can funnel people through a process. What, what we do is instead of looking for salespeople and then convert them to the right environment, we look for the right match first. So like our recruiting process begins with, are you a culture fit? You know, well, we put, we have various different funnels and sequences that we'll put people through. And it's, in it's first, it's, hey, here's our values. You know, we're all about results and optimism and flexibility and partnership and ownership. And then we talk through what that looks like on a daily basis. If you, if this doesn't blow you away, don't even go to step two, because there's no point. You won't even survive here because everybody here lives in that culture. Right. Then from there, you know, we, we talk about what is the work like? What's the day in the life? Here's how we work in a virtual environment. Here's the way the leads come in. Here's what you're expected to do. Here's how it works. Like it or don't. We don't we're all about the hell yes or the hell no. If it's not a hell yes, by default, it's a hell no. And we don't want anybody who's not a hell yes. If you're only Got maybe, it. that's cool. Go sell somewhere else. And so we have a, you know, we, we filter people through. Right. Then once we pull them into the process. Then it's all about, you know, we, we haven't looked at a resume in a decade. Um, I don't look for resumes. Once we get them in, then it's, we have them, we, we, we put them in a place where they're having to put, you know, we have a video response system that they move through online. Then we put them into, into basically elimination calls. As a salesperson, we, we look for all, we break down all the skill sets that they need. And then we put them in a funnel call it a vetting funnel. And in that vetting funnel, we should really call it an elimination funnel because that's what it's designed to do is just eliminate you. Nothing about it is comfortable. Nothing about it is easy. If you're a salesperson who knows how to move on their feet and adjust in a conversation, you'll move through it great. And if you're not, you'll be found out in a minute. It sounds like you've built this system to help companies find the right salespeople. Is that right? Correct. That's something you do is you help them find good salespeople. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so we, we recruit, we, we make a, 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 basically a values match based on your company. And then we go search for that person. And then once we get them through as a match for who you are, then we start going into the skill set piece. And then once they determine, we've determined everything fits, then we, you know, we turn them over, we match them to the company and we would never match somebody with you who we wouldn't hire for ourselves. Uh, I love that. That's great. So we get this person in here. They're the right fit. They're the culture match. I see it all the time. People fall in love with these, these new salespeople. They're like, oh my gosh, she's so great. I, I love them so much. I had such a great conversation. They're such a great talker, such a great listener. Three months in, no results. Yeah. What's going on there? <laughs> well, if you've done the first part right, then it's more likely that the reason the results didn't happen is because you didn't surround them with the right processes and systems and strategies. Here's, wow. you know, I've been selling my whole life, man. I can't tell you how many times I've come into a new opportunity and somebody said, Here's your leads. 
here's your script. Go make me some money. <laughs> and, you know, fortunately, I'm pretty damn good at this, but th- I've dealt with a lot of very difficult, challenging environments trying to figure that out. And most sure. people just can't win there. They're gonna, you're going to have anybody who's not a phenomenal over the top rock star is going to fail in that environment. And it's not because they can't sell. It's because it wasn't really easy to do it. You know, you want them to focus on selling. If they have to spend half their time trying to figure out your environment, they're already going to fail. So if you're listening to this right now, and you're going, wow, that sounds like me. Like I've got this, I'm able to find some good people, but they're just not doing it. Like, what do you do? How do you build this system? How do you figure out where to start? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, like I said, you can take these steps and just make them super simple. This doesn't, we have a very automated process and then we we insert, we have, you know, there's, there's calls and, and role play calls and group calls and evaluations. We put a lot of manpower into it. But the most important thing is just document the process, you know, take everything that I'm saying, write it out. And then how would you find that? You know, you could literally reach out and say, okay, who's the person I'm looking for? You know, let me, let me back this up. Most, most people have, we're all familiar with an avatar for our client and that's great. And most people don't even take that to the level that they should. But we take your avatar for your client combined with your, you know, your values, your culture, what's your vision, all those things that line up. And then from this, we build an avatar for your salesperson. Who's the mm-hmm. ideal person that will fit here? Right. I, I was fortunate enough. I, I played um, baseball in college and uh, so I'm pretty good at it. I've been coaching sports most of my life. And I, I coached Little League Baseball when my daughter was playing. And the winning coach gets to coach the all-star team. And every single year, like when you watch the Little League World Series on TV, it's an entire team of pitchers, catchers, and shortstops. They're all, every one of them played pitcher, catcher, shortstop on their team. These guys don't know how to play outfield. They don't play, you know, first base, all that stuff. Well, we would recruit, we let the pitchers and catchers and shortstops be your top 10 or 11 guys. And then we would pick four guys, five guys who played outfield all year, who played first base all year, who played third base all year. And those guys thrived in their spot. They didn't have an ego, so they didn't care if they batted ninth or seventh or eighth, right? So now you put a guy where he's used to winning, used to playing well, used to doing his job, and again, surround him with super talent and a great system, overachieve, overachieve. So we would win as a team because we would put all the right people in all the right places, right? And I've taken that same approach to building sales teams. Love the sports metaphor. There's so much to unpack in the way sports teams win. And the way sales teams win, like there's just, there's such a crossover there. I love that. Completely. And um, it just, it, you find the, the personal fulfillment that comes out of the person as well, when they feel like they're in their spot. You know, we sell for clients and with our outsource teams, we sell products from $1,000 to $100,000. And the guy who's selling $100,000 is not the same guy selling $1,000 stuff. We have some people who just crush it. They sell $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 products all day long. I mean, we have other people who don't even start unless it's 50K or above. And they're having a different level, more sophisticated conversation with a sophisticated buyer or more nuance. And this, neither one of them are bad. They're both rock stars in their spot. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is it really depends on what your goals are with this salesperson that you're hiring, uh, what really they're selling and who they're selling to. Like that, All of that makes a, a difference in whether or not this person's going to be a good fit. Is that right? Completely. Completely. And that gives you an idea of who, you sh- who would thrive in your environment, you know, based on the right fit, you know, based on, you know, you need to factor in who's your client, you know, when I, when I, in, in the environment, when I used to have my alarm company, we had, we, we would train them and we called it train them and cl- uh, recruit them in masses, 
train them in classes and kick them out on their asses. And then they'd be out door knocking. We would take them in canvassing the neighborhoods. And we was usually high ego athletes, former military, because it took a certain kind of person who's going to go out in neighborhoods and knock, get their butts kicked in, get doors slammed in their faces, deal with pit bulls and chain link fences and all that stuff for hot, hot summer days and rainy evenings. That's not an average salesperson. That takes a very specific, overly competitive person. Yeah. Right? So you can't just throw a sales guy there. You have to throw a competitor there and teach him how to sell versus, so, you know? <laughs> so, so hold on a second here. So you just said that it's not a sales guy. It's a competitor that you teach to sell. Yep. Let, let's talk about that for a second, because I think I just need someone that's got some skills in selling. Like they, they went to a sales school or they worked for one of these companies that teach inside sales reps. Like they have the skills, but you're not saying it's just about the skills for selling. There's so much more to it than that. The skills is the last thing that matters. It's important. It matters. You got to have them. They got to know what they're doing. They have to know how to present, how to, how to close on a sale, collect an offer. But that's all teachable. What's not mm. teachable is authenticity. What's not teachable is empathy. What's not teachable is competitive drive. I mean, there has to be a certain level of, of self. I have a very delusional self sense of self about me. I think I'm invincible. I, you know, there's, I have to have this certain level of ego to not let rejection get in the way. Sure. When you don't buy from me, I think you're crazy. That's okay though. <laughs> you know, but if I, yeah. otherwise I'd be killing myself every day, you know? Yeah. And there's certain things that have to come into play and you got to test for all that stuff. And then from that, you can put the right, it, it, plus if you hire somebody who's a competitor, high drive, and you put him in an environment with other guys who are good at what they do, how fast do you think he's going to learn how to master the sales skills? Mm -hmm. Overnight, is that's going to be a high priority for him. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because he <laughs> wants to win. Yeah. He wants to win. So if, if I want to go out and I want to hire a sales guy, and I, I'm like, okay, this is the, the type of person they're going to be talking to. I've got a system for how they're going to follow up and how they're going to go through this, this system. How do I measure all those intangibles that you're talking about? The high drive, the competitiveness. How do I figure that out? Whether it's in an interview process or some part of the screening, like what's the real world stuff we got to do there? Yeah, well, part of it is um, like we have a an online system. We have a couple of different ways. And, and one is they, they have to check off. They, go, they watch videos. They have to fill out personality profiles. Um, we're looking for how they, you know, I tell people often when we ask you questions in the interviews, I'm not asking, I'm not looking for your answer. I'm looking for how you answer. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what you say to me, I might, I'm going to, I'm not going to be happy. We're going to keep you off balance. I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't know, but I don't like that. And we give them the impression that their answer wasn't good enough often. And then, you know, but keep them off balance. One answer was great. The next answer was like, eh. And then they're going to be like, Hey, wait a second. I didn't, I got, how do I, how do I overcome this? Right. Then from there, you know, you, you will challenge certain things. There's certain questions you want to be able to ask that are going to drive those things. You know, Chet, Chet Holmes is famous for this in his ultimate sales machine um, talking about, um, you know, talking about ego drive. Um, typically, a person who has an opposite sex parent who was overly indulgent. And I mean that in the best possible sense. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's the person who typically has high ego drive. You got a young boy whose mother thought, he, you know, he, he could conquer the world and could do no wrong. That guy has a high level of ego. He's going to have a high, you know, those are certain factors. Like, so you, you ask for those questions. You ask for those things. You look at where were the things that you've overcome in your life? You know, I didn't talk about my story, but, you know, I grew up in an abusive environment. 
I was in foster care at 13. I was on the streets at 16 and I was in jail at 19. And I used to get the crap kicked out of me. First at home, then in foster care, then on the streets and in jail. I had to learn to, if I, if I was, either I would end up taking my own life or I had to learn how to manage my environment and see myself as more than. And I had to learn how to influence my environment so that I could bend will towards my direction because that was how I had to learn how to survive. And so I started learning that I could be anything I wanted to be, that I make my own reality. I had learned if it was if it was to be, it was up to me and all of that stuff, right? So I created this alter ego of somebody who had value because nothing about my life said I had value, right? But that's I'm, uh, I'm there are there are guys like that. That's a more of a smaller percentage. Most guys who have that ego strength, they it was poured into them, right? Mm. So you te- you just you test for those. You ask. You don't say, hey, I'm going to try to find out your ego strength, but you ask them about a story about their childhood. Who was the yeah. first? When you, whenever you got hurt, how did your parents handle it? When you came mm-hmm. home with an F on the, or a bad grade on your report card, who who responded and how? And you'll learn how how did what kind of response do they need? How do they get that kind of attention? Right? And then we don't I, I, we don't ask them questions to tell us things. We just have them show us. So mm-hmm. they literally they're on the call and they'll say something. We're like, yeah, that's I don't know about that. I don't like that response. I don't you know it doesn't sound like to me. You have what it takes. I think that's a Chet Holmes move, right? Chet Holmes, his his quote specifically is, "Yeah, you know, uh, I'm not here in Rockstar. I'm <laughs> yeah. like a good guy. You're gonna do okay, but I'm but I'm not here in Rockstar. But I and but I am. <laughs> you will hear guys, and those are the guys that'll disappoint you because, like, dude, you were doing so good. I used to use that every time as my closing question, and I still bring that into play because it's great. Um, but there's so many different ways to tweak it. Same version, um, and it's it's heartbreaking sometimes you got a guy who you thought was so he passed all this pet test and then he as soon as you said oh, i don't think you're i'm not hearing rockstar and he's like oh, okay well you know i just thought i'd give it a try and it's like dude you're killing me <laughs> you know and because uh, you want the guy's gonna go well you know start qualifying you right and like well tell me what a rockstar is how is a rockstar defined in your world and what do you mean by that and then you have some guys who'd be like you're out of your freaking mind because I'm the best and you're losing, you're lost, buddy. You know, at least that's better than the guy who quits and retreats. But the guy you're looking for is, and I should say, I say girl, guy, you know, we have, we actually yeah. have women selling for us than guys, but um, that, that person's going to immediately qualify the situation. So right. Jim, you got that great question there. I love that one. Um, uh, I don't sound like you're a rock star. What's some other ones that you use to really test their ego, really push in on them? Uh, asking them about a cir- circumstance. And then regardless of the response, you just kind of go, eh, you know, or you just, just, okay, well, you know, I was looking for something more and just kind of, even you could say it directly, you could say it under your breath. You'd be amazed at how that stuff, if somebody's got ego drive, it will show up because they're going to be like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? That was, you need more? I'll tell you another one. You know, you want the guy who's going to be like, okay, how do we get over this? And again, that's why I don't, I really don't care. 90% of the time, I don't pay attention to the actual answer. They're telling me some great story. I'm not really paying attention. I'm paying attention. How did they respond to me? How did they respond in this situation? You know, and then sometimes we'll, we'll raise the octave. We'll be like, you know what? Come on, man. Hey, I'm just not getting it. What's up? What do you, you think that's good? And then maybe they'll defuse, right? I, I, I refereed high school basketball and college basketball. And one of the things they taught us is defuse. The higher the coach goes, the lower you go. 
right? They let the coach go, you horrible, you're costing my, you're costing us the game, blah, blah, blah. And then you just, are you done, coach? Okay, cool. Two, technical foul, white coach, you know, but you don't go, yeah, you get tech, you don't blow up on them. You, you go the opposite direction and bring them down, right? And it's the same thing in the sales game. It's like just to see how, if you can, if you bring them up and let them bring you down, it's fun to watch guys who can manage the conversation well. Very cool. That, that sounds fun, actually. It is. Uh, <laughs> I, I coach a lot of interviewing on, for frontline employees, hourly workers, and we look for a lot of the same things and we have process-based questions more than is there a right answer or is there not? It's more in how they answered or how they take it to that next step, that next level and stand out and look a little different. But it sounds like this is a really an emotional roller coaster for salespeople, what you put them through. Is that fair? It is. It is. And the, the great part about it is they all leave thanking us, whether we hire them or not. They love the process because, you know, they, they, they felt like they got something from it. And I'm big on that. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I want If you're going to spend a, a week going through a process with us or an hour and a half on a role play call or whatever, I want every minute you spend with us to be, you know, at least that and more in value to return to you. Because we've had plenty of people who we didn't hire who send people to us. Hmm. Just like we have clients who we didn't clients who we didn't take on who've never hired us who send people to us because we just deliver value. We want them to feel like they're going to win when they're here. And it sounds like there's a high level of standard as well. You're not just accepting anybody. Correct. You're Correct. turning both uh, it, salespeople away. You're also even turning clients away if they're not the right fit for you. Correct. And I would imagine that goes back to values alignment, which is what you were talking about before. Like you've got a set of values and standards by which you're qualifying everybody else that comes into your business or does business with you. Is that right? Yeah, I highly recommend it. Uh, I in today's economy, I, um, I don't see how people don't. You're creating a lot more work for yourself if you're just taking anybody who can pay. Yeah, that fog the mirror test seems to be real popular, especially in the trades right now. Like, hey, they showed up for the interview. I, I need the bodies. Yeah. And then you're disappointed when three days later they decided no call, no show because they took another job somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it, trust your gut on a lot of this, too. There's a lot of times you're feeling right in the middle of the conversation. I'm not sure this guy's buying me right now. Ask mm. don't, don't be stealthy. Don't, don't try to be the professional Right. When, when I'm hearing something, uh, if I feel like I'm stumbling, I tell them, hey, you know what? That didn't come out right. Let me just say that again. I don't care what they think of me. And same thing with them. I was like, you know what? You just told me that this was the most important thing for you to solve. Yet you sounded like you're, you know, whipping up some mashed potatoes. I mean, is this important or not? You know, this reminds me, Jim, of uh, one of the interview questions. I used to hire tons and tons of welders and we would just go through. And uh, there's a lot of issues, that, you know, as you're hiring. Uh, these people. And one of ours was actually almost an inverse of what you're talking about here. We'd get towards the end of the interview and be like, great, man, this is, we'll, you know, brag on them a little bit, whatever. And it was like, why don't we take you out in the shop? We'll show you around who all you'll be working with and everything. And so now they're pumped up, right? They're like, we got the job. We're ready to go. And we'd walk them out there. And we had a couple of people out there that knew that they were going to get approached. We walk them out. It's like, yeah, here, this is, you know, this guy and here's stuff. And they'd start talking and I would just disappear. I'd go yeah. talk to shop manager or whatever. And they would let their guard down and tell you the dumbest stuff. Their drug oh, habits, God. their everything, like crazy stuff that they would just, just not even asking them. Yeah. They were just, they had the job, they were closed, the guard went down and they would just, boom, blow it. And they'd never hear back from us again and wouldn't know why. 
Yeah, it's but that's a human thing. It's crazy. People, we're just nuts. It's like I, it would probably happen if you didn't even leave the room. If you just walk ten feet away, they just think you're like the walls. You know, when I was yeah. coaching high school basketball, I was I was fortunate to be able to coach two of my daughters. One of my daughters was a little bit more of a troublemaker, and I'm literally in the locker room. I'm in in, in the I was coaching girls basketball at the time. They're planning this party. Our daughter already lied and told us that the parents were going to be home when they weren't. And she had my wife call the other parent who turned out to be the other girl's big sister, right? She already screwed herself on this thing. And then we're sitting there in the gym at practice and they're talking about who's going to bring the beer and stuff. I'm like, guys, I'm 10 feet away from you. (laughs) I'm right here. Yeah. No, the drug one, we didn't ask the question. They divulged it. Like they just, but they were, had the job, their guards down. And so that's what we're really talking about is just getting that authentic. Totally. Ryan says this a lot, you know, when hiring salespeople, if they're anywhere near their value in, at all, you, you, they should be able to sell you. Yeah. Like, and uh, so often we get in and like, wow, they're such a people person. We bought into it, but we actually put them through the rhythms that they're going to go through. Because let's face it, you're talking about your roller coaster, but sales is a roller coaster. Rejection's real. The pain's real. You just need to know right up front, can they deal with that? Can they deal with the pain? Okay. Can they deal with rejection? Can they lose control of the conversation and get it back? Because that, I mean, that happens all the time, right? Sure. So put them in that situation and see how they do. Yeah, I love the open honest that you have there in the interview process. Um, almost if you think it, say it. Because if you don't like the way you're saying something, it's okay to humble yourself for a second and say, hey, I didn't like the way that came out. Let me change that. Almost as a model mirroring type of thing to see if they catch oh. on. And, uh, and I love that. And back to what you guys were talking about with the drugs and everything else, uh, we run integrity assessments for a lot of our clients where these employees, these applicants will come in and it will say, would you fake an injury on the job to get some time off of work? And they're like, yeah, I would. They're like, would you bring alcohol to the job site? Yeah, I would. Would you come high? Yes, I would. And it's just amazing that we can ask these overt questions and people will say, yeah, I will. And so, you know, but too often I think, employers are afraid to ask those questions or, or maybe they don't even have the skills to do it. Like there's definitely a skill set involved in what you're talking about, Jim. This isn't something where I can just listen to this podcast and tomorrow be acing these interviews. No. However, um, you know, I, I recommend bring, bring somebody in to do, I mean, we, we provide that service, obviously it's what we do. Um, but you, the thing that I would advise a business owner of, if you're, if you're a small business owner, you're the one that does the interviews. You, if you want to be in the process, you're the end of the process. You can sign off and say, yeah or no, after they've gone through it. But you need to have them talk to other people because a good salesperson is going to say, man, I love your company. I love your product. I love what you're about. And you're going, yeah, I've been in family business for 20 years. Oh, well, this guy's great, you know, and, and you're not even paying attention to the red flags that's right in front of you because yeah. this guy loves you. So you need to get out of the process and let somebody else take it. And, and ideally someone who's objective, third party, who doesn't care one way or the other in the outcome. Right. So how do you, how do you do that? I mean, besides calling you and saying, hey, help me with this, Jim, like, how do you identify that person that's capable of, of having that objective conversation? And you, and you can actually trust as the owner that they've got your best interest in mind, too. Like, they're not going to let someone that's a good applicant out of, the, you know, go back out to market. Yeah. Um, if you're 
in any sort of connection, a networking environment, a mastermind environment, someplace where you've got colleagues and peers, that can be other industries. Um, but somebody that you respect as a business owner, set up an arrangement like that. Say, hey, you know what? When I'm interviewing guys, will you be one of, one step of my interview? And I'll, you know, I can do yours. And you'll actually show up with more focus and integrity for that person than you will for yourself. We tolerate all, I don't know what it is about business owners. We tolerate all kinds of nonsense for ourselves that we would never let a client tolerate, you know? Um, so you'll, you'll, you'll go really focused on them. You'll ask them really good questions because you want to make sure that you're steering, you're taking care of your, your partner really well. So I recommend that. And then some point in the process should be a peer review. So if you've got, if, if you've got a, you know, a couple other people who are doing the job, they're going to be working with this person. So have them ask some questions and it doesn't have to be anything to do with the sales process, whatever the hell they want to ask, right? Do you show up? Are you, do you show up early? Do you stay late? How do you handle conflict? What happens if I do, what happens if I thought this was my customer and then you, how you solved, they'll ask all kinds of stuff that you'll never think of asking. Mm. Right. And then what I've learned, we, we do that. And when we do, um, they have ultimate veto power over anything we do. Cause if my team says no, and I say yes, I just told my team their opinion doesn't matter. So if you're going to do that, you got to be willing to go with whatever they say. You know what? I did that. I've done that a bunch. Uh, I did that with a painter. I used to own some body shops. And the team laughed at me later because I would have made the wrong decision. We actually had these two guys come in, and the team was in a little bit of a funk at the time and kind of down. And this one painter came and interviewed. He was peppy. Man, I liked him. We kicked it off. And I probably did what a lot of business owners do in the interview process. I told him how great our company was at the very beginning and talked for the first 15 minutes. And all he did is repeat after me, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so now, I mean, I encourage people now to just shut up. When they walk in, you're the buyer. What do you do when you go to sales lot? Say, now nah, I'm not interested in the car right now. Then why are you on the sales lot? But we, we reject at that moment. And so I tell them, reject. But I didn't do that. And I bought into this guy. I thought, man, this guy's great. And then there's this other guy that was kind of, uh, he was a little bit of a, I, did, I thought he was a little downer, you know? And so, but we did that. We already had that in the process. So our guys, our, our techs interviewed him and had uh, just talked to him. Well, they picked the downer guy. And I thought, ah, I kind of pushed back. It was enough. Of, I felt like it was wrong. I pushed in. But ultimately, to your point, I followed their lead because I knew I would lose more steam in the entire company by not doing it. Well, that guy turned out to be a phenomenal not only a phenomenal painter, but a phenomenal team player, phenomenal company man. He wrote, he was just right. a great guy. The other guy forgot to take us off of his account and his email list. And about two weeks later, we learned about some party he was organizing that was not kosher <laughs> in any way. <laughs> and we were like, whoa, we barely missed a major pitfall. That was yeah. listening to the team. And I love that because the team is just they already know you. They know the work environment. They're going to ask real questions. They got to buy in on this, and they're going to be partly helping this person be successful. Yeah. Well, because then the other, there's a lot of things that happen there. One, he's going to the, the the new employee is going to be much more part of the team already because they've accepted him from the beginning. The other part oh. that happens is the team has ownership. They don't want to say they recommended wrong, so they will make sure that he's winning. You know, they're going to make sure you get off to a good start. Otherwise, they look stupid, hmm. right? So it, it provides a lot. And then it just, it brings them into the piece. They're, they're part of the ownership. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a team that knows you trust them, you know? So it's, to me, there's no losing it. 
So let's just look at this. You're looking at their ego, their push, their drive. And we've talked a lot about that's how you show up. Is there anything else from the show up standpoint that we need to be looking for? Um, those, I mean, it's a whole myriad. You want to build, that's where it's so important to build the profile, right? When I'm looking for door knockers and alarm company, I'm looking for high ego drives, high endurance, uh, you know, guys that are, that are competitive. When I'm looking, you know, we, we sell a lot of transformational coaching stuff. So I need people who can get in their heart. I need people who can understand people's journey, people who will listen, people who will be patient. People who will understand that when you're frustrated or you say something stupid, it's not because you're stupid, it's because you're scared or whatever, right? So you just need to know the environment and understand uh, how do you blend. So then from there, that's when you build, okay, what what are the drivers I'm looking for? And then how do I ask questions that will elicit? The whole goal is just put them in a situation that will predictably trigger the response that you want to minimize or maximize. So it's like a laboratory. It's fun. You just start testing and, and tweaking and playing with stuff, you know, and then, you know, you just have a couple of good home run questions, you know, uh, something I've stole from um, the, uh, the uh, sales manager with uh, Mike Weinberg, um, great book. And um, he, yeah, I, I use his question verbatim and I ask him, first one is tell me about a win that you've had that started out as a loss and tell me exactly what you did and what you learned from it. And they tell you the whole process and the whole scenario. What did you count on? How did you overcome it? All that. They got to describe it in detail. And you'd be amazed at some people who just can't because they're trying to embellish some big old Moby Dick story. Um, And then the other is we hire you. We love you. We think you're in. You're the guy we want. You're going to come in and you're going to get trained. You're going to get onboarded. And then I'm leaving for 90 days. I'm giving you the keys. What are you going to do day one? And what are you going to deliver to me when I come back in 90 days? And if they yammer and stammer, they're out. But if they're a sales pro, they should have some thought. Well, first, I'm going to go through your existing list. I'm going to see who's your ideal buyer. Who's the people who bought from you in the last year? I'm going to talk to the other colleagues and see what they're doing. Who's got follow-up strategy? You're going to have some place to go with a thought process. If you go, well, I don't know. I think you're done. Get out. It's it's not so much the exact answer. It's really their thought process. And are they thinking this through like a real sales champion would think it through? Correct. So, one thing I want to move to real quick is thinking as an entrepreneur, I may or may not like the sales process. It just depends. Like I know a lot of entrepreneurs that are excellent salespeople. They're the best salespeople in the company. They're always going to be one of their top salespeople. I know other entrepreneurs are like, gosh, if I could just find someone else to sell for me, that would be amazing. And so I, I'm thinking, t- speaking more to those that don't enjoy the sales process as much. Um, they'd rather be more in the business, managing accounts, those kinds of things. They hire a sales guy. They go through all this process. They find the one that's driven. They find the one that's got this perseverance, this high ego. And they bring them into the company. And, and maybe they've got an okay training platform. Or maybe they've got someone that's doing some training. What's that process look like that holds that salesperson accountable? Like, What are just a couple of real tangible things that are in a really effective sales process that would make sure that they're doing the right activities at the right time? Yeah. Um... It's. I, I think first issue ideally should be co-created. I mean, you as the as the owner, as the manager, you're the one with most at stake. So you need to know what you what does it take to run your business. You know, so if you need to make a uh, hundred thousand dollars a month to drive your business, well, then how many clients do you need? To, how many new clients need to come on board? How many existing clients need to be upsold? Like literally think out the numbers and do the math, and then. How many of those things happen organically based on your business model? How many of those need to be actually acquired? 
And so maybe you need to bring on nine new clients this month. Great. How many appointments do you need to have, right? And then to do, deliver nine, to deliver presentations to convert nine in order to have that many appointments, how many people do you need to contact? And then once you can just do some simple math around that, then you break it up by days and activities. Okay, how many of these are going to conquer in the first week and what are you going to do and how are you going to track it? Right. But you get that with the salesperson. It's like, here, this is the objective. And if you hit you, if you deliver five of those, you get X. If you help us hit the whole nine, you get another X bonus or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. But so they have that, they have that buy-in and understanding why this matters. This is what it takes for us to run our company and pay our bills and do all of that. Anything above that, I can bonus you from or whatever. Right. I bonus out of profit. And, but then, so then they just need to be able to, they they have buy-in on the outcome and then you help hold them accountable to the actions and able to get there, right? Because I, I, my personal belief is it's hard to hold people accountable to a sale because you don't always control if people buy. But I can control how many calls I make. I control how many appointments I run, how many presentations I deliver, how many people I follow up with. And if I can document all of that, like all of our calls here, they're all recorded. So we, we audit calls, we can do all of that. What I can't, if, we, if I see a guy who's done 150 calls and we can audit them all and he's got documents on them. Then we can say, okay, now this must be a training problem or maybe it's a marketing problem. But if I look and there was only 12 calls done, then I know it was more of an, of a, an activity problem on his part, hmm. right? So you as the owner, as the manager, I don't recommend personally that the owner be the manager because you have other priorities, but um, get somebody whose sole job it is to focus on that. And they, it's just everything. It's not about making people wrong. And you have to help your team understand that numbers are only feedback and feedback is nothing more than information. The moment the feedback is what judges them, you're screwed and so are they. It won't work. They, they need to be totally fine if they're converting at 8% or 88% because 88% doesn't mean you're a rock star. It means you had a great week. Sometimes it means the perfect people showed up to talk to you. It doesn't mean you're anything better or different than you were when you converted eight. It just means something else. It, there's information that we need to capitalize on. So if you're not capturing that information, you literally have no way to improve the situation. And so that's a conversation that you need to be able to have with the team and let them know this is how we evaluate that process. Love so that. now we're all in it together. We talk about scorecards and, you know, I'm constantly using the line, this just defines winning. Yeah. Now, once we know what winning is, we have to coach the team there. And so whatever hit us, hit us. Whatever is holding us back is what's holding us back. But we still got to get the team to winning. Like we're not compromising there. But at the same time, you're right. The 8%. Well, it's just it was the funk of the week, whatever that maybe was. But we need to dig into it. Maybe it was in action. Uh, maybe it was uh, something going on in their head. They got down in the dumps. Maybe it was bad leads. Um, maybe it's something in our sales process has changed or whatever. So I love that. Yeah. And a lot of times it's, you know, it could be market forces, you know, things happen. We're in an election year, right? Stuff happens. The climate changes, the, and, you know, the political climate, the economic climate. And so the numbers can just tell the story of what's actually happening. And you can ask the questions, well, what happened? Oh, well, this happened, or there was an accident or the, you know, the supply chains got blocked up. Okay. Well, as long as you can explain what happened and then pivot, then you're good. But if you can't actually explain that, the numbers should always have a story to tell. That's the way we look at it. So as long as you're telling that story, then you're good. And one thing I like to do, if I have a team, you know, we work a lot of, uh, a lot of listeners out here are, are blue collar and, you know, my, I myself was not a big sales 
fan. Um, I loved fixing cars and operations and all that kind of stuff. So one of the tricks I learned um, particularly was because I didn't feel like I had a good process is I could do what you were talking about there with those numbers. Hey, I need this many new clients, new customers, this, how many upsells, blah, blah, blah. I knew that, but to get there, I would maybe struggle. And so I learned that those are great questions, even in an interview. Hey, how, if we had to hit a hundred thousand dollars this month and it was kind of broken down in this average sale, what would you do? And they start telling you the activities and that you start seeing their thought processes. And then once they join, Hey, this is what you said we're going to do. Let's start tracking that. And and let's build this together. But that's a more of a coaching model than a... Yeah. You know, it's interesting, though, because that one thing that we do in all... One of the best questions I ever learned was um, once you lay out the story, this is what we want, this is the vision, this is what we need, they're going to respond one of two ways. They're either going to say, oh, that's awesome. What do you need me to do? Or they're going to say, hey, that's great. Here's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Which guy do you want? Right? Yeah. The, the guy who says, Hey, what do you need me to do? He just gave you a job. He's not part of your solution. He's going to, he's waiting for you to dictate him. And that's a very key indicator on how he's probably going to move throughout their normal work day. Happy to work, happy to do it, but you need to have a place for him to go. You yeah. want the guy who's going to be like, That sounds great. Here's what I would do. Boom. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah. That collaboration approach that you just summed up there, Dan, we've been talking about for a few minutes now about letting them build out the process, letting them create the metrics and get their buy-in for it. Not just letting you have full, letting them have full control, being a part of that, but it's a really a collaboration to get their buy-in and get their thought process going. I think it's an amazing approach. So Jim, as we wrap up here, I've learned so much in just having this conversation with you and I'm sure our listeners have as well. How do they get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what it is that Gain the Edge can do and how you can help them either, whether it's on a training or maybe even some outsourced selling? How do they get in touch with you? You know, I'm, the simplest way is if you go to Jim P, J-I-M-P, like Padilla, jimp360.com. Um, you go to that website and I'm on, you got everything there. Any way that you want to connect with me, you connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, there's YouTube videos, um, there's website. Rather than me sending you someplace, you figure the best path that makes sense for you. But the one thing I'll ask you to do is when you get to that site, there's a button and you can do it on your phone. It works the same way. Push the contacts button and send me a text message. And just let me know that you heard me on on the Blue Collar uh, you know, podcast and what you do and how I can help because I'm happy. I'm, I, I'm not, this is not a sales pitch. I'm a geek on sales strategy. If you want to talk about what's working or what's not, I'm happy to, to, to jam with you and see what we can figure out because I just love to do this. And selfishly, I want to know what other people are doing in the marketplace. So if I know what you're doing, I can bring that relevance to you know my clients and stuff. So love to help. So just reach out, shoot me a text, and let's let's jam. Thank you so much, Jim. I really enjoyed it today. Like I said, I learned a ton. And go to that jimp360.com if you want to connect with Jim. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jim. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.